1: 8888 Road Dog, the website, Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, anything else, you've come to the right place. That's what we do here. I take your calls. I answer your questions about all of those things and more. And, and I don't have all the answers many times if I can't help you one of our other listeners can. So this is the place. If you've got a question, bring it to the table and we'll talk about it. And I'm going to get to those questions in just a couple minutes. A couple things before I do, though, and before I even get to the topics I want to talk about today, I want to explain something. I've been getting a lot of emails and messages lately with comments like, Kevin, you were kind of hard on that last guy. You you made him feel bad. He didn't know his numbers. He didn't know how much he was making per mile. He didn't know how much his lease purchase was costing him. He didn't know what rear end. And, and, you know, I think you made him feel stupid. And that seems kind of mean. Well, let me explain that. I don't want anybody to feel stupid. I do want people to feel ignorant when they are. And we're all ignorant about a lot of things. But in my opinion, you shouldn't be ignorant about things that are important to you. And if you're running a business, numbers, profit, all of those things should be important to you and you should work not to be ignorant about them. And then some people say, well, that's why he was calling and you just made him feel bad. Uh, Yeah, you're right. And, And my goal at times is to make people feel bad. And there's a very good reason for that. If you feel good about something, why change it? If you, if you ignore something or if you don't know about something that this should be important to you, then you're never going to change it. I only have a couple minutes on the air with each person and I really, really want to help every caller that I talk to. And sometimes what looks like me just being mean or beating up on somebody is not. That's never my intention. My intention is to get them to a place where they will think differently. My intention isn't to motivate them. I can't motivate anybody else. My intention is to get them to think differently or to think at all because I can tell by what they're telling me or not telling me that they either, they're okay with this and they shouldn't be, or they don't know about this and they need to, or the way they're thinking about it isn't working. And I've been doing this whole advice thing for a long time. I can hear those things in answers. I can hear it in inflection and voice in lots of ways. And we, we can all do those things if we pay attention to them. I've been paying attention to what people ask me for decades now. So when I think somebody is in a place that isn't serving them well, I'll do what I need to do to move them to a new place, to get them to think differently. And sometimes that means making them feel bad because when we feel bad about something, there's a higher likelihood that we will move to anything else. And in in my opinion, if what you're doing isn't working, I may not move you to the perfect thing, but if I move you to anything different. It, it's a step in the right direction. Then you can figure out if the different worked or not. And if it doesn't, then we'll move on to something different. But most of us get stuck in doing the same thing or doing nothing when it doesn't serve us. So just keep that in mind. My this is I don't do it for entertainment value. I know some shows do that. Occasionally I fall into that and, and I don't want to and I'm you know, going to work harder not to. It's not for entertainment value. It's not to be mean or outrageous. It really, truly is to move somebody to a place where they will do something different and think differently and then start to learn on their own. The other thing I don't want to be is the place that somebody comes to for every answer, even if I have them all. I want people to learn how to think on their own. So that's just a, a quick heads up on. Because like I say, I've got a lot of messages about that recently. All right, uh, a couple things. Today, I want to talk about money and I want to talk about goals. And you know what? I bet I just made a whole bunch of people feel bad already because people don't want to think about money because they don't understand it. All they know is they probably don't have enough and they have never had enough and they think it's really complicated and it makes them feel bad to think about it. So, And the same thing with goals. Everybody thinks it's really complicated. There's whole books written about this. There's week-long seminars about goals. It must be really complicated. It's not. It's really simple. And I'm going to give you, in my open today, in about 30 seconds, not 30 seconds from now, but it'll take me about 30 seconds, to give you the drop-dead, super-simple, fall-off-your-bike way to get started on goals, even if the word terrifies you or bores you or whatever it is. So I'll get to that in a little bit. Since I'm talking about money, I want to give you a couple little pieces of money trivia, but I don't think it's trivial. I I think that it's, it's something we need to understand about numbers and mostly about money. And I I got this from the book I'm reading. I love reading because it makes me sound like I'm a lot smarter than I really am. So we talk about millions and we talk about billions and the government talks about trillions. In fact, the, you know, the government, the new billion is a trillion for them. And we throw those words around in the same sentence as though they're the same thing were that they're somehow closely related to each other. Nothing could be further from the truth. Forget trillions for right now, because that's a number that none of us will ever really be able to comprehend, honestly, and, and I'll tell you why. But let's talk about millions and billions. There are millionaires in the country and the world, and there are billionaires. And when you figure out how big a billion really is, It's just mind-boggling to think that somebody has billions of dollars. But in the media talks about those as though they're the same. Millionaires, honestly, are a lot of times very ordinary people. Um, You may live around some and not know it. You may work with some and not know it. You may have friends, and if you don't know how much they make, they could be millionaires. You never know. The odds are you don't know any billionaires. Um I don't. Uh not even close. So that that's what I mean. Millionaires could be normal people. You and I could a- achieve that in our lifetime and it's not even that difficult, really. Billions ah, that is so far out there and and then like I said trillions, forget it. But let let's let's put this into some number that we can understand. Uh Million seconds. How long ago was a million seconds? A million seconds was 12 days ago. That's it. A million seconds was just 12 days ago, but a billion seconds was 32 years ago. Now think about that. You can't put million and billion in the same sentence. You can't talk about millionaires and billionaires in the same sentence as though they're the same the way our president does all the time. He uses it like they're interchangeable. Let me give you another example. Comparing a millionaire to a billionaire is or talking about them as though they're the same is like talking about a kindergarten student and a PhD in engineering. They're both going to school. They're both learning something every day, but you can't compare the two. And that's really the same 12 days or 32 years. Now, just to put it out there, not that I think any of us should even think about this, but a trillion seconds ago was thirty, almost 32,000 years ago. God, that is just mind boggling. So let's get on to the show. And and we're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about numbers. So I've got a question for you. And it's surprising how many people don't have an answer to this. Be honest with yourself. If you don't have a clear answer, just say so. How much profit do you want out of your business? And, And you can state this in a couple different ways. You could state this as how much profit do I want each year in just a true dollar amount? Like I want to make $60,000 this year. I want to make $100,000 this year profit. Or you could do it by mile, which I I think is a really good way since we measure so much in this industry by the mile. How much profit do you want to make per mile? Not gross revenue, profit after all your expenses. You want to make $0.40 a mile? You wanna make 80 cents a mile? Do you want to make a dollar twenty cents a mile profit? All of those numbers are absolutely achievable in today's world. I'm seeing it. But how much do you want to make? I'm gonna to get to a break. Why don't you grab something to write with? Or if you're driving, you know, talk to Siri or whoever it is on your phone that takes notes for you and tell them. Or call me and tell me, but tell yourself. How much profit do you want out of your business? Pure cash or by the mile or both? Stick around. We'll be right back and I'll have more questions for you. Might even make you feel bad. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. All right. So you had a little bit of time there to think about that. Now, be honest with yourself because you don't have to be honest with me. I really don't care. I know that sounds bad, but it's your business, not mine. I can't care about everybody's business that listens to me. I can care about helping you because that's all I can do. I certainly care about my profit, and I know mine. known it for years. But be honest with yourself. If you don't know the answer to that question and and instead of just saying, hey, I don't know because I've never really thought about it. You just pull some number out of the air. Don't do that. Take the time today. Today. When would be a good time to start? Today. Take some time today and think about that number. And there is no right or wrong answer, by the way. And don't just pick the biggest number you think, because that's probably not true. It was never true for me. I never, ever had a goal in my business to profit a dollar a mile because I knew in my operation, no way it was ever going to happen. So in order for me to get there, I would have had to change my operation. It's not worth it for me. I was happy with the number smaller than that and a lifestyle that I enjoyed. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice my lifestyle to make more profit. So there is no right or wrong answer. And it doesn't have to be the biggest number that's possible. In fact, it probably shouldn't be for most people. Now, if you don't know, this is one of those times where I hope you feel really bad. In fact, I hope you feel like an idiot. I hope you feel so ignorant about this that you finally decide to do something about it. Now, here's the next question. And I can guarantee you that I know 90% of you don't know the answer to this question because I've been asking this question for almost 20 years to every group of owner operators I've ever spoken in front of, live and in person, so I can see their response immediately. And about 90%, actually, it used to be over 95% of the people didn't know. I'm encouraged that over the years, it's at least getting better. But we have a lot of work to do. And here's the question. How much profit are you making right now per year, per mile? Any way you want to tell me how many times have you heard me ask somebody on the show and they go, well, uh, you know, I, I, um, I might have it. You don't even need to finish the sentence. I know you don't know it. If you knew it, it would pop out of your mouth. But I get all the Well, you know, I'm not done with my numbers for last year. Um, I think it's about this or my accountant has. Just say you don't know because I'm going to steal a line from Dr. Phil. You can't change what you won't acknowledge. Just acknowledge that you're ignorant. If you want to acknowledge that you're an idiot. I'm an idiot all the time. I did something so stupid on my trailer the other day. I don't even want to talk about it. Um, But I acknowledge the fact that it was really stupid to do. Um, So how much profit do you make? And if you don't know, this is another one of those times. I hope you feel really bad. And I hope you feel bad enough that you finally start doing something about it. Now, there's lots of ways. You can use spreadsheet. You can use a pencil and paper. You can sit down with your accountant. Don't just hand the numbers to them and tell them to do it. Sit down with your accountant, get them to help you generate the numbers. But you have to be a part of the process. Now, getting to your accountant this year, this time of year for those kind of things, probably not going to happen. So I don't want you to wait either. Come up with something else, a spreadsheet, a software program. We have profit gauges. We have the startup program. We'll help you with this. But just do it. Now, let's take a step backwards. How much fuel mileage would you like to get out of your truck? Since that's the most important factor in profit, other than revenue, we're not talking about revenue right now. When it comes to expenses, fuel mileage is your biggest expense and the one you should focus on most. And do you know what you'd like it to be? You know, what what is achievable in your segment? You know, if you're pulling around general freight, dry van, you own the trailer, and you get to pick your loads, 10 is achievable. We know that because I know people who are getting it. I've never seen 11 consistently over a 30-day period. Now, if somebody's done it, I just haven't seen it. I think it's achievable. I'm not exactly sure how to get there yet, but I have some ideas. Uh, but what's achievable for you? If you're a car hauler, those numbers are almost... Well, not quite double, but they're way, way out of the, the realm of possibility with our current information and technology. So it, would, it just wouldn't make sense to me to say I want to get 10 if I'm a car hauler. But to say I want to get seven and a half might be a really big stretch, And I think it could probably be achieved if somebody put enough time and effort into it that was in that segment. So I think that gives you an idea of look at your segment, look at where you are and what's possible. That that should be your long term goal. And don't let the word goal scare you. Now, the other question is, do you really know your fuel mileage? And as scary as this is, lots of people call this show. And when I ask them, they do that same thing. Well, it's about or my if this says or my dash says we all know those aren't real numbers. Calculate the real numbers. All it takes is a piece of paper and a pencil. You know, use our system if you want. It's free. Just just get to know the number that you're at. Get to know the number that you want to get to two very simple things now. Let me talk real quick about goals, and then I'm going to get to your, I don't even want to use that word. It scares people. I'm going to talk about how you achieve something you don't currently have, but you want. How's that for a a long-winded way of saying goal? I'm going to make this so easy. All I want you to do right now is think of something, anything that you want and you don't currently have in your possession. That's it. I don't care how stupid it is. I don't care how simple it is something you don't have, but you want. Big, small, doesn't matter. In fact, I really recommend if you've never written goals, make it something small. And here's all I want you to do. I just want you to write down what it is that you want. One simple sentence, nothing else. Write down what it is you want. And then I want you to commit to doing one more thing. Write it down every morning when you wake up. Now, if you want to double your chances of success, Write it down every morning when you wake up and every night before you go to bed, but that's a little complicated. So let's just keep it fall off your bike simple. Write it down every morning when you wake up. Now here, I'll give you a trick to make this easier. Tie it to something you do every morning. Think of when you open your eyes, do you reach for a cigarette? Hopefully not, but if you do, then at least get something good out of that cigarette and tie this habit to the cigarette for now. Write down one thing that you want. If you get up and you stumble around till you can find some caffeine, that's kind of me most mornings. I like my first cup of coffee. Then tie it to the cup of coffee so that you remember every time you taste coffee, you're going to write down your goal. See how simple that is? One thing to write down every day, nothing more, and tie it to something that will absolutely remind you. Or make a good use of technology and put a reminder in your phone that one is a little tough for me because I don't keep the same schedule as much as I should. So I prefer to, to tie it to a habit that I always do at a certain time. Like when I wake up. All right. So let's get to some phone calls. Let's head off to Missouri Theron, welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Kevin. How are
1: you doing today? Um, can you I help me? you? I can.
2: Hello. Uh, <laughs> Which actually the question I have actually had to do with a goal I want. I want to understand, or if you can explain to me, I see these um these trucks going down the highway with the sleeper chairs and a straight truck behind them. And they're ex- expedited. So what do they do?
0: Okay, That's great question.
2: And why do they have a straight you know, truck behind them instead of, like, uh, Got it.
1: All right, so let's talk about what expedited freight is to begin with. You know, let let's first talk about the kind of freight most of us are probably familiar with, which is truckload scheduled freight. And a, a shipper will determine based on all kinds of things in their business. A shipper or a receiver will determine when they need to receive a shipment. And businesses that can plan really well will try to set up their schedule so that they can ship things as inexpensively as possible because that's how you run a good business. Does that make sense? I mean, we don't want to pay more for something than we need to. And if we can do a little bit of planning, then we can lower our costs. So smart businesses will say, "Okay, we need a truckload of this every week. So let's start scheduling it. And if the shipper can get it shipped out eight days in advance, heaven forbid, I don't like to see this happen, but we might even put it on a train because trains might take a long time to get there, but they're cheap. So we could save money. But hopefully what we want them to do is say, we're going to put it on a truck, but we're not in any hurry. They can, you know, it can be a single driver. It can take four or five days to get here. We'll be okay with that as long as we can pay less. So that's what happens in a lot of truckload freight. It's scheduled. They try to get a good price on it, so it doesn't need to get there quick. When I come back, I'll talk about expedited freight and why it's so different. Stick around. I'm Kevin Roth. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm going to get right back to the calls. I'm going to go to Theron in Missouri. Theron, I want to add one more thing to that uh, before I get on to expediting, because this is something that happens a lot in the industry, too. And it's not necessarily good for us as a driver, but it does make sense for smart trucking companies if they want to increase their profit. What happens, and, and you can see this if you watch the rail, is trucking companies will contract for freight. Then when they get it, If it doesn't need to be there in a certain time, they'll put their trail on a trailer on a rail car it all the time. Big carriers, all their trailers are on rail cars because it's cheaper for them to put it on the rail than it is to pay a driver. So there's that mix sometimes as well. And like I say, we don't necessarily like that as drivers, but we need to understand it happens and why. Now, here's an expedited. Expedited usually means some sort of an emergency has happened in some business. We ran out of something, something broke. We didn't see this coming. If we don't get this thing that we need, we will shut down production lines. We will piss off our customers. Something bad is going to happen if we don't get this right now, as soon as we can. So expedited service is also sometimes referred to as door to door, meaning the the truck that stops to get this is going to leave this door and they're going to try to get to the other door as quick as they can. We don't want to hand this freight off. We don't want somebody sleeping somewhere while this freight sits in the trailer. It's usually not big shipments. It can be. There is some truckload expedited stuff, but it's a small part of the market. That's why you typically see straight trucks. You can see things as small as cargo vans. And there's even some crazy expedited freight that goes in passenger vehicles uh, because it's oh, so wow. small. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, we have FedEx and other companies that'll put it on a plane and get there tomorrow or things like that. But but there's still some expedited freight that goes by very small vehicles. So straight trucks work okay. well. Um, sleepers because it doesn't make a lot of sense to put expedited freight on a single driver unless it's a short haul that he can do in less than 11 hours because if he has to stop to sleep we're losing time so sleepers because now we can have a team one driving one sleeping and this thing we only stop when we absolutely have to so that's the difference that's what expedited freight is all about in a nutshell but we could get wild, there's medical expedited, there's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff, but does that help you understand what that's all about?
2: It does, it does. Thank you. Can I um, address the, the numbers thing that you talked about with yes. the numbers? So, I'm working with a guy, a new truck driver, I'm trying to give you profit gauges, I'm trying to give you fuel gauges, and he's dragging his feet on profit gauges. And he told me something that was telling that it's not me. I'm a number statistic. I love numbers. I mean, I look at my propagations every day. I look at my team every day. I could, if off my numbers, boom, boom, boom. I like Go numbers. Ahead. And he told me he was dreading to see his numbers because he didn't want to see how bad he was. That, Which that is that foreign was... to me. I. I...
1: That was kind of my open though. But here's the thing. And and maybe to help you help understand him, you are a numbers guy. So they excite you. Um, I I wasn't really, that wasn't a natural strength of mine. It was something I had to make a habit. And now I could kind of say I am a numbers guy because I it's what I do first thing every morning. I, I review all kinds of numbers. But I had to work at it really hard. And, and look, there's still some parts of, of numbers that, you know, taxes, as much as I love taxes. God, I have to force myself to go look at those numbers because it's always bad news, in my opinion. And there's never, never good news for me about taxes. It's always more than I want to pay. So I can tend to avoid those, too. And, and I know that's not healthy. So, you know, maybe think of something in your life that you're not comfortable with. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's, um, you know, disciplining your children because you, you really love them and you don't want to be hard on them. Or, or think of something that you're uncomfortable with. You know deep down it's important, but you say to yourself, you know, I just don't want to think about that right now because it makes me feel bad.
2: Okay. I got that exercise. That's yeah, I got that. Exercise Yeah, I got that.
1: Yeah. So it, it it's, it's not saying that it's good or we should do that. In fact, we should try to help people. And that's what I'm trying to do today and all the time, help people understand. Yeah, I get it. You feel bad about that, but suck it up, cupcake, put on your big boy or your big girl panties and feel bad for a little while because here's the alternative. It, and this sometimes helps people see this in a new light. Think about how long, You've had to avoid that issue, and every time you hear it on the news, on the TV, you read it, somebody talks to you about it and you feel bad again because it's in front of you, and then you work to ignore it, hell, we've been doing that all of our life around certain issues. I know I have, and I am really working hard to say, boy, was I an idiot? How stupid could I? This is one of those times I don't feel ignorant. I just feel stupid. Because what I've done and what many of us do is we feel really bad our whole life when all we have to do is suck it up for a little while, feel really bad for a short period of time until we can get through it. And then I promise it'll start to feel much better. And I think that's why people don't do it. They they don't know that it's going to feel better if they can just get through the worst of it. And instead, we put it off our whole life. Let's go to Detroit. Terry, welcome to the program.
3: Hey there, Kevin. Uh, Today I wanted to um, call call in and um, say that uh, third-party lease I have completed. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I do have title in hand, and uh, it is officially mine.
2: Doesn't that feel good?
3: yeah that 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 feel it, it feels great, but my comment is the the company I did it with, I knew the people, I was comfortable, and the only reason why I did complete it is because I made two changes. one, I actually started using fuel gauges, which I had been using, but two, I used plastic gauges. I actually started taking over my own bookkeeping so I could know exactly what was going on. Uh, nice. I didn't feel comfortable in the beginning. The first six months, I had another company doing it. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel that I actually was running a business. It just felt like, look, I hand this off to someone and boom, there you go. I don't have to worry about it. But then right. I started feeling uncomfortable because I said, well, now I'm trying like a company driver. Because I don't, I'm not running anything. I'm not looking at numbers. I'm not trying to Make changes on the fly,
2: so
0: right.
3: I attest that those two changes helped me complete the actual, the actual leap. And do I recommend it? I do not. But for someone who is willing to get in there, get their hands dirty, learn the system, it could work out really good.
2: Well, and, it and actually, r- can work out.
1: Let me explain the difference for people who are listening and might not know what the term third party lease means. Uh, most of the people I beat up on are in what we refer to as the lease program where they're leasing the vehicle from the same company that provides them the work, even though it might have a different name. It's still affiliated with the, the carrier. And in many of those cases, you can't leave that carrier, all that stuff that is pretty traditional about lease purchase. Third party leasing is different. It's not to say all third party leasing companies are good. I know some real crooks out there, but there are some good ones. I, I, I work with one in Denver that I love the guy who owns it. He's an amazing businessman. He cares about owner-operators, and he tries to do what's right. And in case anybody's wondering, the name of the company is called LeaseCo. And I've known those guys for years. And, And like you said, I know them. I feel comfortable with them. Doesn't mean I'm going to succeed, but it gives me a good fighting chance. And that is a very different thing than a lease purchase.
3: Right. And um the number one thing is they wouldn't let me start it unless some things on my credit I paid off. And what he wanted me to do was he wanted to show wanted me to show responsibility that I could tackle things on my own with my own money <laughs> on my credit report. And he gave me a little list and he says, Look, I want you to tackle this list. Not the thousand dollars one, just two small ones. Let me see that this is actually something that you want to do. I want to see that progression. And so after I did that, I had a down payment. I started, and now I'm 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 done.
2: I, and uh...
1: Congratulations. Hey, the music's playing. I've got to get to a break. I, I, you know, those are the stories I get up in the morning for. Um, honestly, I, you know, I get goosebumps when I hear those stories, and I, I don't care if people think I'm goofy because of that or not. I love stories like that. We need so many more stories like that in this industry. It's my mission. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Hey, real quick, uh, I know we've got a ton of new callers now. We've, we've been promoting our text messaging more and we've been talking about the recording hours. So I want to let everybody know if you're new, um, we're heading into the last segment of the first hour that we record. And the reason I tell you that is at the end of the segment, because this is going to play on Sirius. I always say the same things I do at the end of any show. I'm done. I'm out of here. I got to go. Good night. All those things. But don't hang up. We come right back within about 30 seconds and we start recording a second
2: hour. So here we go.
1: Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's go to Arkansas. John, welcome to the program.
4: Good evening, Kevin.
1: What's on your mind today?
4: Well, I've been a company driver for 30 years, and I'm thinking about stepping out and becoming an owner up. Wow.
1: How exciting.
4: I've listened to you for the last three years, and I think I've done all my homework right. I'm fixing to go with a brand new glider kit, uh, Coronado
1: liner with a uh, 12.7. You know that I love gliders. You know I love 12.7s. The only question I have for you, just something I want you to think about, how financially stable are you in life?
4: I've got enough to put half
1: of it down cash. Oh, that, all right. Because I, I think that it is the absolute best long term option. It's just not available for some people, and some people would have to stretch too much to get there. And and but you're not one of those guys. You've got that kind yeah. of cash, and then fantastic. So what can I help you with? What?
4: Well, the way they've got it spec, I just want to see what you think of it. It's a twelve seven Coronado with a thirteen. With three forty-two gears,
1: but it's got uh twenty-two-five low pros on it. I love twenty-two-five low pros. Love the thirteen-speed. Love the twelve-seven. Now, just to throw this out there, and and I like Harrison a lot. I I wanted to work with them, and and I had to kind of put it on hold for a little bit. Have you heard right. me talk about the the engine issues with all gliders?
4: Yes. Okay, And I, right. I contacted my salesman, and which you know how some salesmen are. Uh, I asked him had they had that problem. And he said, as far as he knew of, they have not.
1: Um, they have. I, I know of three of theirs. Uh, but, but, and I don't want to scare you off, and I don't want you to not go to them. I just want you to be aware of it and talk to them about how their engines are being built, where they're getting their parts, things like that. Because I can also tell you, there are lots of gliders coming out of Harrison that are getting outstanding fuel economy. So well,
0: he, he told
4: me he told me that I'm gonna be pulling a bulk pneumatic tank with mine. And, okay. Uh, he he said that they was the Ethan guys that were doing that, so they were averaging between six and a half and some miles a gallon, even running the blower it, and all on. And, 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 and I, you know I,
1: what? I, that is a very realistic number. He's not blowing hot air up your skirt. So yeah, I and that's good. I'm so.
4: Start. I'm gonna have a King APU put on it. Like I said, I've been listening to you. I'm gonna go with the gold Coast silk.
1: I mean, I'm gonna do everything right. Got it. All right. So let's um, let's talk about the only spec I don't like on this truck, and and I would encourage you to see if they'll change it. And if not, this one is still workable. It just doesn't give you the absolute. But be- and here's the thing: um, for the most part, if this is planned right. Getting the right gear shouldn't cost us any more than getting the wrong gear. It's not like trying to decide, should we spend an extra couple thousand dollars to go to wide singles? That's a a money decision that we have to weigh back and forth. But gearing uh, shouldn't cost us any more to get the right gearing. Now, what can happen with gliders is that in order for Harrison to get the best price, they might have to buy 100 gliders all specced exactly the same in order to get that price. So they might tell you, yeah, you know, we could get you different gears, but it's going to cost X. And and we'll even talk about that in a little bit. The gear you've got will work. How fast um, do you think you're going to drive most of the time?
4: Well, right now I drive for one of the world's largest suppliers of industrial gas. Their truck is specced to run 65 mile an hour. And that's where I like
1: her on 65. Okay. So 342s, in my opinion, with those tires and a 12.7, uh, you know, I, I, honestly, I think the RPMs are a tad low for 65. The problem is when you split a gear and try going down to 12th, they're going to be a tad high. It's almost like the worst possible gear I could spec for the speed you want to run and the rest of this truck. Wow. So, if they had 355s, then we could, we would be okay in 13th gear. We would be a little better. But what I'd really rather see, much rather see, is if you had 279s. No, actually, let me change that because you want to run 65. Let's go to 264s. You're going to run 65 in 11th gear, which is direct, meaning it's the most efficient gear in the transmission. We'll get the best fuel economy possible. If for some reason, someday you need to go 70 or 73 or even 75, we've got two more gears up there. So we have lots of flexibility. I, I, you know, this is something we've been working on for a couple of years. Bruce Mallinson and Pittsburgh power helped me a lot with testing on this idea. We have built a lot of trucks this way. We've converted a lot of trucks to this and everybody loves it. I, I don't know why we're not building every truck with this, with this strategy. Yeah.
4: Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's what I just, I just want to know what you think. Cause like I said, I have listened to you for three years and I have made my little notes and Studied and read and I'm just trying
2: to do this right.
1: Um, Well, let me even give you a number because I like numbers. If you were to go back to them and say, yeah, we can do it. It's going to take an extra two months and it's going to cost three grand. I would be okay with both of those numbers. Now, if it got longer than that, that's up to you. If it got more expensive than that, it becomes a little bit harder of a decision. But hands down, if they said two months and three grand, I'd be in. It, it would be okay. worth it to wait for me and spend the extra okay. money.
4: Okay. All righty, sir. Well, I sure appreciate you. And thank you for everything you
5: do for all of us out here.
1: You are welcome. Thank you for your support. Let's get to Oklahoma. Brian, welcome to the program.
5: Good day, Kevin. Uh, just called today. Uh, you had talked to a guy last week uh, about uh, he was purchasing a, uh, a Volvo and he had a uh, Super 10 with the 370 gears, when you were going to check on gear ratio was best for the Super 10. Uh, I have a similar case. I just purchased a pre-emission a, a truck, 2000 FLD, uh, 12-7, and I was going to take a look at possibly, you know, in the future, changing the gears.
2: Okay,
1: and it turns out that... It- As far as I can tell, unless there's some model of Super 10 that I can't find, like 13 speeds, there's tons of models, 10 speeds, there's tons of models, Super 10 being one of them. Um, It looks like ninth gear is direct
5: on that transmission. Okay, on the 370?
1: Well, no, the 370 is your gear ratio. I thought you were asking because I think the was I was trying to remember which gear on a Super 10 is direct, and it is ninth. Um So 370s and a super 10 on a pre-emission truck is a good combination. In fact, the only other gear I would spec would be kind of like a little bit what I just talked about, 279s and then run it in ninth and 10th would be this big jump up, but you know it's still usable sometimes. But 370s, if you have them, I wouldn't spend the money to change them. It would be way, way down the list because it's going to cost you four grand to change the gears. And if we took right. that four grand and spent it on things like mufflers and air filters and air tabs and, and lots of other little things, we could make a much bigger impact on our fuel economy than we can with the four thousand dollars
6: in gears.
5: Right. Uh, one other question: uh, uh, You have received a call from uh, from my partner, uh, but. Uh, we were trying to, uh, we are starting up a, 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 a small business. I mean, you know, run two trucks, leasing them instead of uh, just employing somebody. Uh, but uh, my question was that, uh, should we go with a LLC taxed as an S Corp, or should we just go ahead and get the S Corp?
1: I really prefer the LLC taxed as an S Corp. And the reason being is the tax handling is identical. There's absolutely no difference between the two when it comes to taxes. The difference is the LLC is a, a simpler form of business than an S-corp. It has better rules about what we can do with partners. And and I don't want to get way out there on you know all these little differences. But ultimately, if we ever need some of those things, the LLC is easier to work with and the start them up cost about the same. They're going to be taxed identical. We might as well do the LLC. And if we ever need some of those advantages, they'll be there.
5: Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I, I am kind of jumping in it, brand new. I mean, I, I, I'm a brand new owner. up, not even on the road yet. Uh, you know, you had asked the question about what do I, what would I like to make a profit? And I mean, I'll, I'll answer you. I mean, my My profit as a company driver last year was a little over thirty nine cents a mile. and I'd like to do at least twenty percent better, which is only forty something cents a mile.
1: Profit. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. That makes total sense. You took a number you already know and you gave yourself a percentage to get above that number, and it's a very reasonable percentage for your first year. I love it. Congratulations. The music's playing. We blew right through that hour. I've got to get out of here, but I'll be back again. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Check out the website. It's Let'sTruck.com. All right, here we go. We're going to do a second hour.
0: Your money, your
4: taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs,
0: back in your pocket.
1: Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show, well, it's all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and we answer your questions about everything trucking and a whole lot more. That's why we call it trucking business and beyond. We can talk about fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, personal finance, credit, debt, getting started as an owner operator, finding freight, working with brokers, taxes, whatever it is. If you've got a question, give me a call. I'll give it a shot. I might be able to answer it many times I can, but if I can't, Sometimes the listeners help us out. In fact, most times they do. So it's a wonderful thing. And we're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. A couple of things I want to remind you about. One, our recording schedule uh, every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday afternoon for most parts of the country. We'll do it in Eastern time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We record for usually an hour or two, depending on the day, and it's really easy to join us for those recordings. In fact, sitting in on a recording is just like listening to a show, except you get to do it ahead of time. Some people say they like it because they can call in and then they get to hear themselves ask the question and get the answer. So it can be kind of fun sometimes. To join us is real simple. Just know that on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, one o'clock Eastern time that we record and all you need to do is dial a number. So one of the easy ways, put a reminder in your phone, make that uh, technology work for something other than wasting time on Facebook. So the number you dial is 347-884-8327. That's it. No codes, no magic words, no nothing. Dial the number, sit and listen. If you want to ask a question, you can. And uh, sometimes it's a little easier to get through if you've got a question. Sometimes our recordings get real busy, but you can always sit and listen. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The number one more time, 347 884 8327. If you don't want to do the work of adding the reminders to your phone and figuring things out, I'll give you an easier way. If you want to be on a list, we will text you right to your phone every time we're recording and we usually send out the text 30 to 15 minutes prior to the show. And that way, you know it's happening right then. We even put the phone number in the text. And on most smartphones, all you have to do is touch the number and it dials it for you. Love technology. Now, how do you get on that text list? I'm about to tell you. It's really easy too. So grab something to write with. If you know how to text anybody, you know how to do this. You're going to send a text to what's called a short code instead of a phone number, but it's exactly the same. Wherever you would put the phone number to send a text, just put this short code. It's nine nine zero 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 ninety nine thousand. And all you have to do is put one word in the body of the text. In fact, don't put anything more. Put one word. Don't worry about capitalization. The word is listen. That's it. Wait a couple minutes. You should get a confirmation that you're on the list and we will start texting you to remind you about recordings and also about our podcast when we record those. And anytime you want to get yourself off the list, it's really simple as well. In fact, we send you the instructions with every text. So let's, uh, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Georgia to get started today. Vern, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Let's
7: talk about carbon monoxide detectors. All right. We uh, we just had that uh, gentleman in Arkansas die from carbon monoxide poisoning in his truck. He had a uh, gas-powered generator underneath his cab.
1: Bad idea, and, or bad idea to have one of those and not have a carbon monoxide detector.
7: You betcha. The uh, I spent uh, a lot of years in engineering. The last job I had before I decided to go trucking was actually designing carbon monoxide detectors, and I've taken one through the uh, UL certification process uh, in Chicago as well. The biggest reason why people die on houseboats, because they have gas power generators. It's a big problem in the houseboat world. And you know what? It's probably going to be more of a problem in the uh, trucking world as more folks go to gas power generators. So you've got to have one, because they do produce a lot of carbon monoxide.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the RV world, which I've been pretty heavily involved in, um, has done a pretty good job of protecting people from some of the dangers of being in an RV on the road. We do use, uh, it, it, it still baffles me today why on big fifth wheels that are almost exclusively pulled by diesel vehicles, why they keep putting gas generators in them, why not just put diesel Uh, You know, then I only have to pull up to one pump, but a lot of gas generators, a lot of propane. So RVs today have propane detectors, uh, you know, carbon monoxide detectors, make sure they work Uh, real quick. And and I I don't want to downplay the importance of this because I think you are absolutely correct. And, you know, thinking back when people call me and they ask about gas generators Moving forward, I will make sure that those are two things that always get talked about at the same time. Gas generator could be a good idea on a truck, um, but absolutely don't even think about it without a good working tested carbon monoxide detector. So, thank you for uh, bringing that up. Um, One of the things that I'd like to ask you about, because you may know something about this, I've done a ton of research, and even though I can't seem to find any actual confirmed cases. There's a couple that they think might have been. I I mean, I've even looked like worldwide. And and the question is, can I die from carbon monoxide from a diesel engine? And they do produce carbon monoxide, but at really small amounts. And they produce such other noxious gases that you usually smell the diesel long before you would ever be overcome by the carbon monoxide. That seems to be what I've found in my research. Does that sound about right?
7: That sounds about right. They don't put out that much carbon monoxide. You'll probably get a headache before you uh, uh, get to the point where you get drowsy and pass out.
1: That but, that uh, seems to be what I've heard. You'd, you'd get sick, you'd smell it, you'd get a headache, and, and there there doesn't seem to be any real danger of death yeah. if, if the only engine around you is a diesel engine, but you also have to remember, what about the guy next to you?
7: Yeah, just get out and get some fresh air. If you put one in your truck, uh, head height in the sleeper, because when you're lying down and and you're asleep, that's when you're probably most at risk, and you want it about the same height as your head because carbon monoxide is the, about the same molecular weight as uh, air, so it's going to just kind of hang there. And if Got you use the top, it's probably a good idea to have one up there too.
2: Got it good advice powered,
7: You you get them at uh any of the big box stores. they're all tested by u l and they all work well enough to uh warn you in time to uh get you out of the truck
1: excellent, great advice, thank you for that
8: there you go have a good one
1: all right let's uh, yeah that uh i I've talked about that before, and I was confused about it, so I did a ton of research and it, it turns out. If you've got a diesel engine and a diesel generator, a diesel APU, you're you're probably safe without one. But I, I don't want to. They're so cheap. You know, what if the guy next to you is running a, a gas engine and, and, you know, it's blowing right into your cab instead? It, it's probably a minimal risk. But a good carbon monoxide detector is a minimal investment. Why not just get one anyway? Yeah, there's a time I said, eh, "Don't bother. It's you got a diesel." But, you know, rethinking it, eh, it's very, very cheap insurance. Let's head off to Arizona. Rod, welcome to the program.
6: Hey, Kevin, I just wanted to see if you could take a look at an oil sample for me.
1: All right, let's see what we've got here. The good news is it looks like it's a number 1. Uh, we've got a Volvo D12 engine. Looks like you've got a little over nine hundred thousand on the engine, and if I'm reading this right, about a hundred and forty some thousand on the oil. Is that correct?
6: Yep. Just that the right. numbers don't look bad, but they're just slowly seem to be climbing up from every sample. This, you know, like yeah, iron. Yeah.
1: yeah. So let let's take a look at what what's going on because honestly, it's a really good sample, and I just want to kind of put your mind at ease. Uh fuel dilution is virtually non existent because with the new testing, it's so sensitive. We kind of say two is the new normal and you're at one. You're not, I right. mean, there's nothing there. Soot. Boy, I gotta tell you, most D twelves are are kind of dirty engines. Um, they're not like a 127 or like a cat where the, the soot stays really, really low. What engine or what year is this, by the way? Oh uh, seven. Wow, that's even more impressive because it's an emission engine. Um, well, all right. it, it kind of is and it kind of ain't. <laughs> uh, got it. Okay, and that explains a lot of things. Whoever whoever ain'ted this engine knew what they were doing. Hold on. Uh, we'll be right back and uh, we'll finish going over that. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. Before the break, I was talking with Rod in Arizona, and we're going to go back and finish up an oil sample. So, again, um, you know, things like fuel dilution and soot tell us a lot about how the engine is performing. And the D12 wasn't a great performer in this case, and with the missions, it's even worse. So, this is pretty impressive. And there's a lot of miles on this oil, almost 150,000. Your viscosity for a 540 looks right where it should be. We had a little bit of a drop in base on the last sample. Nothing to be worried about, but that's actually come back up. You've either added enough makeup oil that it's brought that base back up. Um, the, The yellow boxes you see, you can totally ignore. Because those are things that are added to the oil, they're additives, and it's not unusual for those formulations to either change based on where you got the oil, even though it's the exact same brand, everything, there are different blends, or the companies change their blends and the labs don't know it. Nothing in there should be of any concern whatsoever. Now, where you were getting a little concerned seemed to be in the wear metals. So let's talk about iron. Uh, If we look at the history of iron and we go back uh, five samples, we went from nine to 12 to 19 to 26 to 34. I don't know that I've ever seen an engine do any better. Wear metals will always build up over time because they are so fine, there isn't a filter on the market that will ever get them out. In fact, I've, I've seen some ideas about magnetizing filters or magnetizing lines to attract at least the iron or, or magnetic materials out. Somebody brought me an idea, wanted me to invest in it, and I said, hold on. Yeah, it would work, but why would we bother? We're, we're talking about 34 parts per million And it does zero negative things to the engine. I mean, this is nothing. Who cares that it's in there? Um, We watch it in case we see a big spike at some point. And that would indicate that we have a problem, but we're not worried about the amount that's in there because it's not hurting anything. So that is a, a beautiful progression of iron. In fact, let me tell you my rule of thumb. It's not perfect. This didn't come from the lab. It's just something I've kind of come up with over the years. And that is for every, let me try to explain this. If you have 140,000 miles on the oil, I would not have a problem if your iron was at 140. That's kind of the ratio I use, like one-tenth of the miles on the oil, not on the engine, on the oil itself. So you're at 34. And if you were at 140, I wouldn't be worried. So again, really, really clean. Your chromium went 00011. I've tested oil from the bottle that has five. So again, super clean. Nickel, zeros across the board. Aluminum, we went from four to eight over time. Copper, we're at two. Um, lead, we went one, two, four, 13, but again, we're talking about parts per million and then ended up dropping back down to 11. It's, it, I, I really, I don't know that you could ask for a much better oil sample.
6: Well, a couple of things, the magnet thing you just mentioned, I don't know that it actually works because on the OPS filter, I've always, I've got a big magnet. That goes up on the bottom, and I've always I I had that idea about the iron, and I've tried that. So I've I've actually had it on there for four or five samples, and it's still climbing, you know, just slightly.
1: Well, uh, hey, when I said I would expect to see a hundred or so on yours, and yours is at thirty four, maybe it did work.
6: Well, it it may be doing something, but I've always run a big, pretty powerful magnet on the uh, bottom side of the OPS filter every yeah. time I change it, put it on. Certainly can't hurt um, any.
1: But like I said, to to make a product like that made absolutely no sense to me. It's just not necessary.
6: Right. Well, I've always run, when I first started sampling, I've always used mobile Delvac. And over about the last three samples, all the makeup oil, I've been switching over to the Chevron Delo synthetic. Um, So, I mean, it should be all basically about Chevron now. You know, with the well, makeup and- at every fifty fifty thousand, yeah. when I change all the filters, I I get about uh, in fifty thousand miles, it gets about five gallon of new oil at every fifty thousand. It takes about three with the filters, all the filter changes, and then I use about two gallons in that period. That's so I a should great race- all Chevron.
1: Yeah, that's a great ratio, but. Will it will never fully be all chevron? Or if it does, it's gonna be a really long time because there's oil that stays in galleys, but and it's not important because we can mix any oil we want, but it does kind of give us an explanation of why the additives are off a little bit. And again, it just doesn't matter anyway. But sometimes it's just nice to know. Let's uh let's head to Nebraska. Chet, welcome to the program.
8: Yes, hi, thank you for taking my call, Kevin. I uh, I actually have one question and two comments, if we have time. Uh, the question that I have is the Optima batteries. Now, I don't remember which one you said. Was it the yellow or the blue top, if I'm switching out batteries?
1: You know, I haven't done um, any, any extensive testing on this. It's mostly things I've read, other people I've talked to. Um, the yellow top seemed to be a really good battery. Um, kind of as a middle ground, um, they seem to be really good quality. People like the customer service, the batteries are doing good, but again, I, it's not my testing. It's just what I've read and heard. If I were going to go buy batteries today, it would be the yellow tops.
8: Okay. And then I don't have to do anything different than if I had the lead acid batteries, it's same hookup,
1: same hookup. Yeah. Everything's identical.
8: Okay. That was, uh, what I wanted to know. I got to get batteries here in the not too distant future. So. Um, I guess I uh, I had uh, I had put uh, an OPS on uh, a week and a half ago, and uh, I didn't think it was work- quite working right, so I called Tom, uh, left him a message, he turned around and called me back within a couple of hours, explained the whole system, uh, you know, put me at ease there, and I just wanted to kind of give kudos to the OPS and their service department, I've called tom on a uh, couple of occasions with the oil samples he's been very good of him or already has been very good about explaining them to me so just wanted Thanks. to plug that and then uh and then i also uh i had called you before i had a hop or kind of a shake in my truck and i've had this truck for a couple of years and no matter what we did we couldn't get out of it i changed the shocks and that seemed to work all right uh, a little bit but it would still come back well I ended up uh, I tried them beads in the steer tires. It didn't work too well, but I ended up uh, putting a new steer tire on one side, and then I had spin balanced the tires uh, and then uh, put Set Dramatics, and it just completely different truck. Runs down the road smooth, straight. Uh, I just like a night and day difference. I couldn't believe it.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, Centromatics is a great company. We used to do some work with them and still love their products, love their customer service. We like the beads for a couple of reasons, but I I still had, um, as I was using the beads, I still had a truck with Centromatics. I still had a truck with Balance Masters. They can all work. One of the other things I I just want to throw out there because we see this so often. And look, I put dynamic balancers on all my trucks. Won't own one without them. But when we get a bounce, there's a couple things in your story that I, I want people to understand. Shocks, new shocks will sometimes overcome a bounce. So when we put the shocks on, we think, oh, I must have had bad shocks. Well, you did, but bad shocks shouldn't cause a bounce on a truck that's, that's set up right, where the tires are nice and round the way they should be. They're mounted right. They're balanced right. We're using dynamic balancers. What will happen, though? is if the shock is, the shock is strong enough, because that's the shock's job, is to provide downward force, it can make that bounce kind of disappear. Put a set of uh, Road King shocks, and it can really hold down a bounce because they are so incredibly strong. But it doesn't mean we fix the problem, and we will still end up with tire wear because of that, that bounce. So that's what you that was a textbook example. We put some new shocks on, seemed to get better. And then the other thing is one when I get a bounce, the first thing I do is get out the radio runout gauge. Let's see if there's just something out of round, which is different than being out of balance. And according to Michelin, and they're engineers, and I've been through this, and, and it does make sense. If you get the tire right the tire's right, the rim's right, the mounting is right, we're less than 60 thousandths out of round, then you don't need balance. Now, that's where we part ways. I believe them. They're right. They're the engineers. They get it. But I I like the added benefit of a dynamic balancer like the uh, counteract beads because it can help fix things that might change over time. So maybe when I put this tire on, I do everything right. I get it perfect, and it goes down the road without needing a balancer. But I'd like to throw the cent- or the uh, beads in because if something changes, now I'm still good. The thing will stay in balance, and I won't have to wipe out a tire until I figure it out. So uh, out of round is critically important, and it's so easy to check with a run-out Sticker, And that may have been your problem, and then the new tire... Wasn't out of round. It's possible. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Roth. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Hey, just to clarify something earlier on the uh, the batteries, Matt just sent me a text uh, letting me know that it's the blue top that is the deep cycle. I think the yellow top is the, the middle, little higher cranking, cold cranking, and some deep cycle capability. And I, in my mind, I think that's what I was going for, a little bit of a compromise. Uh, but Maybe the um, cranking amps are the same. Um, Now, if I were to go with a a starting module, a Maxwell starting module, now my batteries aren't even being used for cold cranking amps, so I would absolutely go with the blue. I want the best deep cycle I can get. Matt just said that's correct. And then the red top is higher cranking, less deep cycle. So those... Red is better for starting. Yellow is kind of the middle. Blue is better for hotel loads. So ultimately for me, and this is easy, I I just thought of a good way to remember this. The Maxwell is blue. So the ultimate for me would be a Maxwell start module because my truck's always going to start and I don't have to think about it or worry about it. And then I'll match it with the same blue so I have now I have my hotel loads taken care of the best way possible. So, uh, Matt, thanks for the clarification on that. Let's uh, let's go to. Uh, Arizona, Cindy, welcome to the pro- program.
0: Good morning. What
2: well, um, can I help I have you a with?
0: Question. And I'll, just so you know, um, my husband, Dave, is on the line also with us, but I'll be talking. I don't know if you'll hear any background from him. Okay, um, we went to have the taxes done and we need to make an IRA deposit for 2014 to cut some of that liability down. Okay. And so IRAs are like clear as mud to me and Got it. Uh, looking also for this year and for next year, what type of IRA do we need to go with?
1: Got it. Okay. Before I can answer that question and look, the, the whole retirement account issue is based solely on our tax code. That is the only reason the retirement accounts exist the way that they do. They are ways to get around our tax code. So the IRS has to approve them and it's the IRS that writes how they're all going to work. So it's no wonder why you're confused. This, they have overcomplicated this so ridiculously uh, but I can really help cut through all the clutter and, and help you, you know, give you the answer you need. You can verify it with somebody else. I, I need to ask you a couple questions first. Um, employees or owners?
0: We are at LLC Taxes and Corps.
1: Got it. So you are business owners, which opens up wonderful possibilities, even though it's too complicated. It's good news. Um, you don't want an IRA at all because IRA stands for individual retirement account. And that, that we use it generically, but it isn't generic. That is a very specific account. And that's not what you want. So what you want, let's talk about the account first. What you want is a 401k like people have who work for companies and corporations. You're a corporation or a company. You don't have to be a corporation. So you get the ability to open a 401k instead. You could open an IRA. Nobody would stop you from doing it. The difference is in an IRA, you're very limited how much you can contribute each year. And since you said it's important this year and in the future, we don't want to put you in an account. Even if you told me, well, you know, this year we're only going to put in 2000. Well, great. You could do that in an IRA, but what if next year you want to put in 10 and 10 years from now, you want to put in 40. You're never going to be able to do that with an IRA. So let's not start with something we're going to outgrow. And you may want to put in more this year. So instead of say 5,000 or so in an IRA, depending on your age and a couple other things, we're talking about amounts in 401ks, like 50,000 a year, if you wanted to. So much, much more flexibility. So that's the first place we have to start. Not IRAs. You want a 401k. Now we have another big choice to make. That is that there are two ways that retirement accounts get taxed. And this is critically important. And so few people understand this. Um, You understand gardening or farming, right? Mm -hmm. How much does a seed Cost one seed. Not much, right? Can't even measure it. Correct. Most seeds wouldn't even cost a penny. But how much is the plant worth after it's been grown and tended to and taken care of? Well, there are trees that sell for tens of thousands of dollars, probably hundreds of thousands, if, you know, if we get to the right tree, right? It took years and years and years to grow, lots of care. If, if you were going to be taxed, would you rather be taxed on the seed or would you rather be taxed on the tree?
0: I would think you'd rather be taxed on the
1: seed. Absolutely, because if they tax us a percentage and we only paid a penny, there's hardly any tax. But the tree, right. we'd get killed if we have to pay tax on, on what that thing's worth. That's what happens with IRAs. There's two ways they can be taxed. We can pay the tax now on the money we're putting in. And I know you just called me and said, but I want to lower my tax liability. I know. And if you have to, then you can. But I want to give you another alternative and I want you to think about it hard because it's just like that example. So you could say, boy, as much as I want this tax break right now, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to pay the tax on this little bit of money we're putting in. And I don't mean to minimize what you're putting in, but our hope is that the little bit you put in grows to a whole bunch of money someday, right? Right. So we want to pay the tax now so that at the end, we can get the big reward without paying tax on it. And that's that we can choose that. And that is the difference between a traditional retirement account, whether it's a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA, That is the difference between a traditional and what's referred to as a Roth. A lot of people have heard the word. They don't know what it means. It's all about when and how things are going to get taxed. So if you put money into an IRA today, a traditional or a 401k, a traditional, you're going to get your tax break. Now, just so you understand, it doesn't come off the profit of the business. So you won't save a penny in Social Security or Medicare tax, no matter which one you use. It will come off your personal income. So roughly you'll save about 15% of the amount you contribute is how much it will lower your tax. So you could do that now and you could take your tax break right now. Your money is going to grow over time and you're going to keep adding to it and it's going to get bigger and bigger. And let's say everything works great. We get to retirement. You have a million dollars in your account. When you go to take it out, the government's going to get half at least. And our tax rates could go up. There was a time in history where our tax rates were 90% on the highest income. And and you look at our debt today, 17 or $18 trillion, $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities. How could the government ever lower taxes anytime soon? They're going to have to go up. So not only are you going to have a big bunch of money there, the government's going to get at least half under our current rules, could even be worse. Or you could say, you know what? That, that 15% tax right now, I really don't want to pay it, but I could suck it up and I could figure out where to get the money and I could pay it now and I could keep putting money into my Roth account. And when I get to the end and I have a million dollars, guess how much of the million dollars you get to keep in a Roth? All of it. Every penny. The government gets nothing at the end. I, I, it is such a better way to do this. Um, you actually end up getting tax free, free money. Tax free in a traditional, it's never tax free. It's only tax deferred. Very different. You're going to pay all the tax on the on the traditional account. It just it's just when, but in a Roth, you truly get to earn tax free money. So what I want you to open is a Roth four hundred one k.
0: Okay, and where do you go to
1: do that? Uh, I'm going to give you a place that is new to me um, because I've had a couple places I've used over the years and recommended, but I, I just read one of the best financial books um, ever, and they had some great recommendations in there. So what I want you to do is go to a website. I have nothing to do with this site. I'm not affiliated. I don't get paid. They don't know who I am. Um, it is called America's Best 401k.com. Now there's, there's more you should know and I don't have time to tell you. So I'm going to recommend the book that, that I'm in the middle of reading and working through all the programs. Cause I absolutely love it. It's by Anthony Robbins. It's called money master the game. It will explain the 401ks, the Roth where you should invest your money way, way better than I could because it's hours and hours long. So I I would highly recommend it's on audio, but if you get it on audio, I would also recommend you get it in a a paperback or a hardback because you're going to want to make a lot of notes. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Ross. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. And hey, a lot of the things you hear me talk about, maybe you didn't have time to write it down or you forgot, you know, the the recording schedule, our podcast schedules and phone numbers, all of those things are right on the website at Let'sTruck.com. Our store is there. Um, a lot of the products you hear me talking about, well, some of the products you hear me talking about, you can get in our store. We're adding new products every day. Uh, it's a great way to help support us. Um, we'd like to bring you as much free information as we possibly can. That all takes money. Uh, so any way you can support us, we certainly appreciate it. And one of the ways you can do that is go into our store. Profit gauges, you can sign up there. Uh, I, I'm also going to give you a phone number because... If there's some things you don't understand, maybe our fuel gauges software, our accounting packages, our startup program, um, the audio program about how to get started as an owner operator. It's got a workbook and some videos, all one package, any of those things at all. You can always give us a call and, and ask, or you can go to the website if you know you want it. Just order them. The number is 855-800-FUEL. Quick note, because people turn this around all the time. They always think the 800 should go first. It doesn't. It's 855-800-3835. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to South Carolina. Daryl, welcome to the program.
9: Hi, thanks for taking my phone. How can I help you? Handling, handling issues. And, um, it's the worst part started after I switched my dry tires. Um, I got a deal for Michelin where I went and they came rim and tires together. I got the energy tires with zero offset rims. Okay. And I had two inch offset rims before, with the same tire and it wiggly. I got wiggly, you know, like new drive tires will, but then I've had handling issues and I've, um, replaced like they replaced the king fans. Um, everything but the axle and the tire rod and some tubes been replaced on the front end in the last year.
1: Tell me what the handling issue is. What is the truck doing?
9: It just feels like, um, it's feels like I'm driving like a 1960s pickup truck constantly, you know, moving the wheel back and forth to keep the truck going, you know, fairly straight down the road.
1: Okay. So let me tell you what, my experiences and, you know, with what I've learned from Mike Beckett and MD alignment um, the most common reason for, for a truck that won't track properly, doesn't really pull to the left, doesn't really pull to the right. It just seems to wander a lot. Um, most of the time we tend to assume that it's because it's a lot of worn out components and, and there's play. And, and that can happen, but it's certainly not the most common reason. But it is it does seem to be where most front end shops start to go to first. Now, if you truly had enough wear in your kingpins that need, they needed replaced, then I'm glad we got them replaced because it, it's always easier to work with a truck that has good, solid components. But obviously, even if they had wear, it wasn't the cause of this problem because the problem still exists. So the, the answer is, actually, this is one of the easier questions that I get to to work on in front ends. Uh, believe it or not, it's alignment. And, and it's a very specific part of alignment. It's toe. And it almost always means that the toe is set out too far. Now, you can say, but wait a minute, Kevin, I had it aligned four times, four different shops, the the best technicians around. They showed me the printouts. The toe is perfect. That could be. I can give you 10 reasons or more. Why, even though all those things are true, you still have a tow problem. And the truck is telling us you have a toe problem. So if the computer is saying one thing, but when we get out in the real world, the truck is telling us another, which one's more important? What the technician or the computer says or what the truck's telling us? The truck's telling us the real problem. So it, and it can be baffling because the technicians do sound like they know what they're talking about. Their report does look like it makes sense. But again, we just have to come back to the real world. So here's a couple reasons why this can happen in traditional alignment. A lot of times technicians aren't trained all that well. The equipment needs to be calibrated constantly. Depending on how high volume a shop is, it might need to be done every couple weeks. And sometimes they never get calibrated or they get calibrated once a year when it needs to be happening once a month. Then there's another big problem. Most alignment racks and most alignment systems do not align the truck the same way it's going down the road because their systems work by putting the trucks up on pads, taking all the weight off the suspension, lots of things that it's not how it goes down the road. So what happens then is they set the alignment so that the toe and toe tells you, which way the front wheels are pointed when the wheel is straight. Are they pointed perfectly straight? Are they kind of pigeon-toed, like somebody walking with their toes in? Or are they kind of bow-legged or you know, the wheels are pointing slightly out? Well, if we take all the weight off the suspension, we put it up on the rack, on the machine, and we get them perfectly straight What happens is when you put the weight back on it and you start going down the road, the force of going down the road will push them slightly out. Now, if you can imagine those things slightly out and they catch a little groove in the road, they go that way, left. Now we catch another little groove in the road. They go right, left, right, left all day long and you're fighting the steering wheel. Clear indication that we could have a toe out problem. On the MD alignment system, the truck never comes off the ground. We don't put it up on a rack. We get we can do it with the trailer on because um, it's nice and simple. We're going to do it on the ground just like we drive it. They pull it forward. They pull it back. They pull it forward until they are sure the alignment is set the way you go down the road. Then what they do is set it slightly toe in. So when we go down the road, the force moves it out a little bit and we end up dead straight. That's what we're shooting for. Now, it's not always a perfect measurement because we don't know how much play there might be and we don't know how far out it's going to go. So a good MD alignment shop will set it the way they think it's right and go drive it. And if it feels right, then we're good. If it tends to wander a little bit, then they'll reset it again. That takes time. It's much easier for these guys, throw it up on a rack, turn on the computer. The computer says, turn this nut. They turn that nut and then they say it's perfect, but it's not because you see the results. Does all that make sense?
9: Yeah. um, I don't have any like tire wear issues or anything on the steering Many times
1: you won't. Many times you won't on a tow out because again, it, it, instead of fighting the road, and causing that scuffing that would increase wear, it follows the road nice and smooth so we don't get wear, but you're fighting the steering wheel all day long and you're exhausted.
9: And that would cause also, depending on the road surface, it would vary then because, I mean, sometimes it's, some days it's better than, some days it's worse.
1: Yeah, get get some nice new even pavement or nice level concrete roads. Concrete roads don't tend to dip as much. It'll feel like a new truck, so everything you're telling me and, and certainly verify this with a with an m d alignment you know technician somebody who does this all the time, but everything you're telling me right now sounds like classic toe
9: out is there um is there any m d alignments around like central Indiana, my home area or
1: uh you know you're not that far away from um Uh, Kansas city. If you get through there, it's our favorite MD alignment shop, which is Chad hone. Um, alignment solutions is the name of the company in Kansas city should be easy to find his name's Chad. Great, great guy who work with you on weekend times or appointments or, or whatever you need. He's got a mobile unit. If he needs, he can come out. Um, you're not that far from MD alignments, you know, home in Iowa. Uh or if you just don't want to leave the area, you could call MD Alignment or check their website and find out who's around you. Uh I'm gonna to go to Mississippi. Karen, welcome to the program.
10: Hi, Kevin. Not had a really great start to the week here.
2: Uh oh. The clutch well, went see. out on uh,
10: our The clutch went out on the automatic transmission.
1: Oh, that's no fun.
10: No, it wasn't, okay. But I I guess I'm I'm looking, if I did things the wrong way, I want to know I did, okay? Because I'm getting chastised by the higher above over this, okay? Let's see. You're the the highest. Okay. Okay. Um, The clutch that was in it had just been replaced a year and six days ago. Eaton, well, Kenworth wouldn't warranty it. Okay, we're broke down in Mississippi. So I found a shop in Mississippi to do the work. This man charged $70 an hour for labor versus Kenworth $140 an hour. Okay. I got a remanufactured clutch put in it. More than half the price of a brand new clutch. Okay. I I was told I shouldn't have gone with a remand by the higher up. But uh, it covers the same warranty. It's the same. What, what's the difference?
1: Well, you know, here's the thing. What's done is done. I don't want to should all over you like you should have done this. Um, I don't like remand anything. I, I'd okay. rather spend extra money for the new parts. But it's there. It, it could. There's a great chance it's going to last way, way longer than your last clutch. So all we can do now is let time tell us if this was right or not. Uh, I wish I had more time, but the clock says I got to get out of here. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rothbard.
8: for tuning in to the audio road if you have any questions give us a call at 855-800-FUEL that's 855-800-3835 check out the website at let
10: and find us on facebook.com slash let's truck